Hey, tonight is a really cool um, night for us because we've been talking about kind of how to date and all these kinds of things and been walking through the process. And um, tonight I'm really excited as we go into this third week to bring up a friend of mine who has been um, on staff here at 12 Stone for like five, I don't a couple months. I don't know. Let's just go with a couple months. And she is the associate campus pastor here at this campus. She's phenomenal. She's an amazing communicator and tons of wisdom I've gotten to learn from her over the past few months. And so I specifically asked her to come share tonight because I believe uh, it's going to be super powerful for us. So we all do me a favor and welcome Pastor Heather Simple to the stage. C12. Y'all know this is a special thing you have here. Do you know that? No, you don't know. You don't know. Do you know this is a special thing that you have here? Yes. Do you know that you have a pretty extraordinary leader over there? Good, good. So we start on the same page. So I was 20 years old in college and uh, I was engaged at the time, not to who is currently my husband, but to someone else. And we were going on a little bit of a road trip one weekend, and we were driving up through the hills of North Carolina. And as we're driving up the hills, uh, I noticed off to the right, there's a little sort of run-down building. Some might call it a hut, whatever, but the sign said Tattoo Shack, right? Let's play red flag now, you wanna, right? <laughs> And I don't know, but something in me thought, well, that seems like a good idea. Seems like a great idea. So I turn to my fiance and I say, hey, we're getting married, right? Let's go to the tattoo shack and do something fun, right? Well, I mean, I'm not engaged to him anymore. Clearly, I'm married to someone else, so I can say this. He wasn't the sharpest tool in the shed. And, of course, he went, sure. So we pulled over and into the tattoo shack. We went into the tattoo shack, having given it no prior thought, no mulling over of what we might want to get tattooed on our bodies. And we just started looking through the three-ring binder notebooks that uh, Bubba, not even lying, had in his tattoo shack. I also would like you to know, and honestly, this is just to give you context, this is just to pull you into the story, that Bubba was wearing overalls and no shirt with a gun in the front pocket. I know. I know, just, just let, that, let that soak in for a moment. So we went through the notebooks, and here's what we settled on. Well, we're getting married, and so let's, let's do something to mark the moment, you know, before I take on your last name. How about I get Chinese characters that are my maiden name initials tattooed largely on my ankle? That sounds fantastic. And he chose just to get his name, which was Ben, three letters, tattooed across his chest. <laughs> right? You got your name tattooed on your body? Anyway, so uh, we get this. Uh, I have a tattoo on my ankle in very large black and green letters. Um, 
And we go about our lives, and of course, you know, we break up for a myriad of reasons. And I'm still left with this tattoo, but good thing it is my maiden name initials. Let's fast forward about a decade. I am then married, and I was a teacher in a high school, high school English teacher, and I had a foreign exchange student from China. And I would get up to teach English every day, and I would notice that every once in a while, she would just glance at my ankle with just a perplexed look about her. And she was such a sweet girl. Like she was a really quiet girl, a really sweet girl. She didn't speak English very well. And she carried with her one of those pocket translators that you could put in the characters of the word, and it would it would tell you what it meant. And so after class one day, I said, hey, 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 I've got a great idea. You know, I've got this tattoo I would love. I've always wondered. Let's put it into your uh, pocket translator. And she looked at me and she goes, hmm, hmm, hmm. <laughs> and I say, oh, no, 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 it's going to be fine. I already know what it is. I just want to confirm it. So she, she, you know, she's like not wanting to, but she sort of complies. And she puts in the two characters. It's one character and then another character. It's supposed to be H and K right? Um, she puts it in and it spits out the meaning and she's looking at the translator and she's looking at me and I'm looking excited and she's not. <laughs> and she says, oh, Mrs. Simple, uh, the, top, the top character means bad, smelly, stop, Bottom character means um, air or sky, she says to me. And she's so, she wants to be so honoring. So she kind of gives me a little bit of a bow and she says, Mrs. Simple, your tattoo means fart. <laughs> it's true. Yep. No, no, take your time, really. Just take your time. Totally true story. I have a tattoo on my ankle that means fart. <laughs> I'm 43 years old. I have three children. When my oldest was a toddler, I'm sitting on the couch and she sees my ankle and starts tracing it. What that, mommy? I said, it means I love Jesus, sweetheart. That's <laughs> what it means. That's what it means, darling. We choose to identify ourselves in some strange ways. I chose to identify myself in a language I don't even speak from a culture that's not my ancestral heritage using words that don't even make sense and now it's with me forever. And honestly, I back then for several years was very insecure about it. I mean, I talked to people like from the side all the time so that they wouldn't see this side of my ankle and I would hide it and I would, you know, always wearing pants. I was very, very insecure about it. I would wager that a lot of you, if not all, find yourself hiding. Hiding because you've been marked by things that are not the real you and you know it, but you can't figure out how to come out from under it. 
You've been marked and identified, and you think you're defined by things that were poor choices, bad decisions. And you walk around with shame covering you and embarrassment covering you because you're defined by something that isn't who you really are. See, dating and relationships begin and end with a clear understanding of identity. Because without identity, you live in insecurity. So without identity, you live in what? In what? Insecurity. And everybody's got to choose. Everybody's got to choose between identity and insecurity. It's a little bit of an older movie, but how many of you have seen the movie Jerry Maguire? Have you seen it? Okay, Tom Cruise, Renee Zellweger. Okay, if you haven't seen it, it's this movie, and there's this moment where Tom Cruise's character and Renee Zellweger's character are standing on opposite sides of the living room, and they've been separated and broken up, and Tom Cruise comes in in his Tom Cruise way, all smoldering and things, and he looks over at the Renee Zellweger character, and he goes, he like pitches her this thing, like how much he loves her, and then he ends it with, you Complete me. Which sounds so romantic, doesn't it? You complete me. It's the worst thing ever. I want to, let me paraphrase for you. Someone saying to you, you complete me, is someone look, literally looking at you and going, I am so needy. <laughs> I'm so deficient and lacking in so many areas. I'm going to need you to fix me. I'm going to need you to come along and add value to my life, and I'm going to suck you dry. That is exactly what that means. And yet this is how we approach relationships because we approach it in insecurity. We look at people and we think, fix me, fulfill me, meet my needs. Oh, these are my weaknesses? Well, those are your strengths. And so look at how we complete each other. Look at how we come together. And we move into dating relationships, friendships, family relationships with this insecurity that breeds a confusing identity. You hope that the next relationship fixes what the last one didn't. You want someone else to make you feel better about yourself than you actually do. So again, the choice that every single one of us has to make is, I'm, am I going to approach this through identity or am I going to approach this through insecurity? Insecurity breeds instability. Because in insecurity, my value is based on the value that someone else gives to me. But then those people are also basing their value on the value other people give to them which means most people are deriving their value from other people who get their value from other people who get their value from other people. And it creates this unstable, fractured system of relationships that we just think are normal. Insecurity, identity. But let me... Um, let me just get a little practical with you for a moment. What does it look like? How do you know if you're living from insecurity or living from identity? Well, when you live from insecurity and you move into relationships and insecurity, the first thing is that you don't tell the truth. Insecurity can't tell the truth. Because what if I tell you the truth and you reject me? 
What if I tell you what I really think and feel in the truth about me and you walk away from me so I can't tell you the truth? I have to try and mold and shape and manipulate what I say to you so that you will stay with me, so that you will love me. In insecurity, in relationships, it means that love is impossible in that relationship. Doesn't that sound so harsh? Relationships where insecurity is the position of both people, love cannot exist. Not true love, and here's why. True love, unconditional love, has to have two things. Grace and truth. Grace and truth. Because truth without grace is judgment. And grace without truth is enabling. And we've already established Insecurity can't tell the truth for fear of rejection. So all you have is grace. All you have is enabling. And true, unconditional, godly love cannot exist in insecurity. Insecurity also compromises commitment. Because in insecurity, my principles are determined by my pain. My pain threshold is where I stop choosing what's holy. (laughs) So I'll bail on a holy life because I want to feel happy for just a minute. I'll compromise because just for a minute, this will relieve some of the ache. And you know what? I'm going to deal with the consequences later, but just for a minute, I'm going to bail on this principle and I'm going to abuse the grace and forgiveness that God offers me because my threshold is just so low in pain. In insecurity, it means that recovery from pain is difficult. Because if I need you to complete me, but you hurt me, well, that means you can't fix me. And now I don't know how else to recover. How do I recover if I'm looking you to save the relationship, but you're the one that broke it? And we get caught in this cycle. You know, I played fast pitch softball in high school. And in one game, I slid into third base and I ripped my knee open really badly. So I actually have a very large scar on my right knee from playing fast pitch softball to this day. What I don't do is walk up to people and meet them. I met a few of you tonight. I didn't walk up and you say, you know, hello, you know, my name is John. And I went, you know what? I have a really bad scar. Would you like to see it? right? It's weird. It's awkward and inappropriate in so many levels. But we do this. We See, it's healed. The wound has healed, so I'm not defined by it. I don't approach people and introduce myself based on my healed scar, but it's impossible for the scar to heal When I allow myself to be defined by the wound, it would mean that I would have to keep ripping the wound open in order to keep my identity. Insecurity defines you by what you do. I could stand here and tell you all the different things I do. I could say, you know what, I'm a pastor. I'm a wife. I'm a mom. I'm a friend. But you guys, you know what? I could leave this building tonight, get a call, and find out 
that any one of those, if not all of them, just changed. Right? It's not a call I'd want to get. But there could have been an emergency back at my house. There could have been something traumatic that happened. And all of a sudden, I'm not a wife anymore. All of a sudden, I'm not a mom anymore. All of a sudden, something happens and I'm not a pastor anymore. All of those things can change. But see, in insecurity, we define ourselves by what we do, by the roles that we take. Identity defines itself by just simply who I am. Not what I do, but who I am, because who I am doesn't change. Insecurity turns you into a vampire where you just suck the life out of people. You become the leech, the codependent. Insecurity makes other people your savior. Insecurity chases a full life by requiring other people to fill us back up. And insecurity, above all, is a breeding ground for selfishness which sounds terrible because insecurity is such a burden. Insecurity means you walk in the room and you wonder what everybody else thinks. Insecurity plagues us. It keeps us from making the right decisions. It keeps us making the wrong decisions. It keeps us from walking into the plan that God has for us. Insecurity keeps us from risking and stepping into the deep that God is beckoning us out to. So here I stand and I say to you, insecurity is so selfish, but isn't it? Because isn't Isn't insecurity living life thinking, what can you do for me? What do you think about me? Can you fix me? What can you give me? Can you meet my needs? Insecurity is a breeding ground for selfishness. Now, all of that sounds so heavy, but let me me acknowledge something. There's all kinds of legitimate reasons to live in insecurity. I mean, frankly, we're born into it. From the moment we're born, we're dependent on other people, aren't we? We're born into insecurity. We have to learn confidence. Insecurity is also legitimate because we've all experienced failure. We've experienced loss, heartbreak, We got wounded, we got stuck, we made poor choices, and then we're covered in shame. Or sometimes something was spoken over us or said to us, and it marked us, and we've never been able to come out from the insecurity that it covered us with, right? A parent or a friend or a teacher or a boyfriend or a girlfriend or somebody said something to you, and it changed you. And forever from that day, you have never been able to step out of it. And so you live inside of insecurity. So I don't say all of these things about insecurity to cast blame or cast judgment. I say it to you for us to acknowledge it and and have some self-awareness. When I was in the fourth grade, so very small, um, I was in this public school. And they decided in this school uh, that they were going to do an experiment. And I was a straight-A student, a very good student, very responsible student, and they wanted to do an experiment where they took a handful of the really good students and they put them in a classroom with about 15 to 20 of the students that were near being expelled and were behavior problems. And they wanted to see if the few good students could help raise the level of this and what kind of impact it would have. Now, this was a while ago, y'all, okay? Um, And I got put into this fourth-grade classroom. And that year changed my life. 
Isn't it interesting how we have a year in our childhood or a year or moment, in our, and it just completely alters everything from that point on? And in the fourth grade, the boys in the class decided to develop a rating system for the girls. Fourth grade. And they give every girl a number, depending on where they thought that they fell on the scale. And there was one, two, three, and they told me I was number four. And then they told me on the days that maybe number three was sick or number two had to be out and leave early for a doctor's appointment, that that would be a good day for me because I would be able to move up in the ranks. And so I heard that as a young girl, and I just believed them. And I would spend years trying to get my stock up, so to speak. Years trying to be number three or number two or number one and putting myself in places and situations where I could be seen and acknowledged and valued. And then in middle school, some similar things of being bullied and told I was ugly and told that me I was stupid and, and it all happened in the church. And I didn't know how to navigate it. And from that moment forward, for the next nearly 20 years, I would chase value. I would chase identity by way of insecurity. What did that mean for me? It meant that at the age of 16, I lost my virginity. Because at the age of 14, I got introduced to physical things by a senior boy, and I was a freshman girl. By 16, I'd given it all away, and I just continued to give it all away for years thinking that maybe the next one would be the one to love me and not use me. At the age of 18, after my freshman year in college, I said yes to going to a party. And I knew I shouldn't go. You know, like the, the thing in your gut that just says, this is not a good idea. And I knew I shouldn't go. But again, I'm not making good decisions. And I knew that there would be people there that I thought uh, might be able to make me feel better about myself. Because if I think I'm a four, right, I need like a five or a six in order to make me feel ten. Correct? So that's what I went after. I need to find someone to complete me. I need to have a moment where someone loves me. And so I go to this party, and I end up in the, in the wrong place at the wrong time, and I become a statistic, a violent sexual assault. Further, further cementing in my mind that I have no value. That what they had said to me in the fourth grade was still true that day. That I was a four. That that's who I was. Again, I would spend the rest of my high school years, the rest of my college years, in and out of relationships and one-night stands. And then when none of that quite covered it, I would start drinking and I would dabble in drugs. And every time, like I remember, I was a, I was a waitress at a restaurant one summer, and I'd had this two-night stand with, uh, one of the guys on the staff and um, and I remember going to him and saying well what does this mean that we are like what, what does this mean and he said you know what Heather I like you a lot better when you're fun I don't like this part of you well that again falls right in line 
with what I'd always heard. And, but I, I moved toward people with this paradigm of insecurity. I had no idea what my identity was. I had no idea who I was. See, don't you think that the biggest regrets in life happen when you chase identity by way of insecurity? Aren't the biggest regrets you have today because you did something you felt like you probably shouldn't do, but you did it either to appease someone or to appease yourself or to make yourself feel better or to avoid pain for a moment or to numb something, right? Those are the biggest moments that we wish we could go back and change. See, identity says, I am made complete in Christ. Identity says, it's the thing you can't take from me. You can't take what God says, and wouldn't it be awesome if that was enough for us? We write that down and we say, yes, yes, I'm enough in Christ. And wouldn't it be great if when we come to those moments and come to those decisions, we actually believe that. But the honest truth is we don't think it's enough. But can I just, let me just say this to you. You don't need a significant other to be significant. You just don't. You just don't, you don't need another person to make you whole and complete or to somehow fit some cultural norm where you're supposed to do this or you're supposed to do that. You don't have to have a significant other to be significant. You can be whole and true and rooted and solid and confident and fully in alignment with God's plan so that if and when God brings something to you, you're not approaching it in insecurity. You're approaching it in the full amount of confidence that he's given you, and that person on the other side of you gets all of you because you're not half of a person. This isn't in my notes. Let me show you this. This is what happens. I don't even have time for this. Um, you're made in the image of God. The Bible tells us that. You're made in his image. All right? God is three in one, one in three. We refer to it as the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the what? Holy Spirit. So you have the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Three in one, one in three. You are three in one, one in three. All right? You are mind, body, soul. Okay? Like Jesus, in the flesh, the body, Father, our soul forever with him, and spirit, what controls your mind and your soul. So when you approach someone in insecurity and you give over your body and you give over your mind, but somehow you think you can still maintain your soul connection with the Father, it doesn't work like that. It's all three parts of you that bind to all three parts of another person. You don't get to separate out the physical. That's why when you separate and you walk away because of insecurity, you only take half of you with you. And then that half unites with someone else's half, and that breaks off, and you become a fourth. And that doesn't work out, and you become an eighth. And the reason divorce is so prevalent is because when this gets like bound together and then it gets severed, you have just practiced divorce. 
That's why the separation of a marriage is so painful because it is the separation of all three of these parts. You can't pull one out. It just doesn't exist. You're three in one, one in three. You were made in the image of God, meant for all of you to be united with all of another person, fully you, fully them, no fraction. But in insecurity, we do this, and we think we can separate our spiritual life from our physical life, and we can separate our mental and emotional state from our physical choices. And I'm here to tell you, it's not even possible. When you're viewing pornography, and it is, in, and it is, uh, you're manifesting that through your body. Let me just tell you, it affects your soul and your spirit. When you're giving yourself over to someone, it affects every part of you. And I say this to you because I know this. That's my story. My husband's story is that he started viewing pornography at the age of 11 because he was introduced to it, became addicted to it. And when you get married, it doesn't make it go away. So we spent the first 10 years of our marriage battling something that almost broke us. You are at a beautiful age and stage right now. It is now that you need to look at these things. It is now that you need to ask yourself if you are inside of identity or if you're approaching everything through insecurity. See, when I am inside of identity and I know I'm made complete in Christ, unconditional love is a reality in my life. It means that I am committed to holy, that I'm not going to be stunted by my pain, that I will add value to people rather than remove value from them. It means I'm not defined by what I do, but by who I am. It means that I recognize who my Savior is, that I can pursue a full life by pouring it out because I'm already filled up by Jesus. Okay, let's get practical again. Three ways you can live in identity. Here's the first one. Know that my value is not connected to your approval. Your value is not connected to anyone's approval. Do you all know that? Your value, how important you are, your worth is not connected to what anybody else thinks about you. Romans 8.1 says there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This means that as long as I'm doing what God has told me to do, that no one else's opinion matters. As long as I'm walking in the way of obedience and as long as I'm doing exactly what God told me to do, it doesn't matter what anybody else says. This means that no one's negative opinion takes away from me. It also means that no one's positive opinion adds to me. Because I'm made complete. People-pleasing is exhausting, isn't it? People-pleasing is exhausting. When you connect your value to other people's approval, you live in people-pleasing. Some of you are in relationships that you need to break off, and you know why you won't. You know why you don't. You know why it's taking you so long, and you have to have like 10 breakup conversations. Because you think you need to keep explaining why until they understand. You don't owe that. You don't know that. You give the reason and you be done. 
People-pleasing is exhausting. And you know, what is true? you know what else is true? It's a lie. Do you know that no one actually thinks about us as much as we think people think about us? Like we actually imagine that other people are consumed with thoughts of us. And they're always talking about us. And they're always, I mean, we live obsessed with thinking that other people are thinking of us, but maybe, maybe they actually do like you. Maybe they aren't ignoring you. Maybe they have something else going on in their life and their own struggles. Maybe it isn't all about us. People pleasing is exhausting. When you place your value on somebody else's shoulders, it sure gives them power over you, doesn't it? Second thing, identity doesn't connect unconditional love to unrestricted access. Identity doesn't connect unconditional love to unrestricted access. Jeff and I have been married for 19 years, been together for 20. And Jeff has complete and total access to me. There's no like, okay, you can come this close to me or I'll give you my soul and my mind, but not my body, or I'll give you my body, but I'm not gonna give you mine. That's not the case. It is all of me connected to all of him. And guess what? No one else in this life has that with me because also that would be weird (laughs) and wrong on so many levels, so many levels. He gets unrestricted access. Not everybody does. Do you know that even Jesus had boundaries? Luke 5, 15 says, Yet the news about him spread all the more so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Jesus often did what? Withdrew. Jesus had boundaries. There's a lot of people in your life. There's a lot of people in my life. So if you think about your relationships like a bullseye, the people that should have the most access to you are in the center. So for me, that would be my husband. Uh, My children have access to me. Um, I have a couple of close friends that know me very well. They know my flaws. They know my strengths. They know my sins. They They know things, right? And then I've got the next level of friends. They're, you know, they're more social friends, I go, we go hang out or we go to a movie or we laugh together or we joke together. You know, I've got acquaintances, things of that nature. And then I've got just people that I know. And I have some people that I know that would like to be in one of these in my life. But they're toxic. And they're incredibly painful. And they're incredibly unhealthy. And they want to be here. But I have to have boundaries. Because the goal is not that we reject the people out here. The goal is that we live here with the people we trust and know until we can lead the people out here. Too many of you are bringing these people in here and you're not strong enough to lead them. You're not strong enough to set up boundaries. You're not strong enough to say no. You don't know how to set the the parameter. You You just don't know how to do it and you're not strong enough and you have got to keep them out here until you're strong enough to lead them because in here you'll just fall to them. And it's okay to have this. 
It's okay to have levels of friendships. It's okay for some people to not understand. It's okay for you to have a friendship that was once good that turned toxic and for you to distance yourself until you're strong enough and ready enough to not uh, be affected by it and feel like you have to please it. It's okay. You can love someone, be kind, gracious, forgiving without having to have them in your inner circle. You can still do that. The third thing, don't allow withdrawals to exceed deposits. Whenever I know I have some food allergies and whenever I know I'm going to be going to eat somewhere, someone's invited us to dinner, invited us to go out, I try and eat before I go because I never know when I go if there will be something that I can eat. And if I don't eat before I go, what do you think happens when I go? Oh, man, my face is in the chocolate cake. That's what happens. Like, it, it's like a free-for-all. It's like I lose all sense of time and space. Because when you can't have, you know, gluten and you can't have this and you can't have that, but then you, I go and there it is and I'm like angry. Hung, I'm like angry because I'm so hungry, right? You, for, you, just, you just forget. You just go, I just go, you know what, I'm fine. I'm going to feel like crap for the next 48 hours. I don't care. What, it's going to cost me 50 bucks like, to, to buy that cake? I don't care. Like, like, I just don't care. You just lose all sense of time and space. When you approach something hungry, when you approach a relationship starved, you will just eat whatever they offer. Like, they just give you the least of themselves. They give you the crap. And you just take it because you went hungry. Because you let withdrawals exceed the deposits you made in your life. When you approach relationships and insecurity, you'll feed off people even if the food is bad. John 15, 5 says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me, Jesus says, if you remain in me. What does he say? If you what? Remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You let him fill you up. You're in his word. You're in prayer. You're in something like this with community of people that are moving the same direction. And it fills you up so that you're not empty all of the time. So that you don't approach spiritually starved. I want to bring this portion of the evening to a close. But here's, here's what I want to do with that. I want to tell you a story from, from Scripture. One of my favorites ever, ever in, in all of Scripture. This is, there are a few stories in Scripture that for me display as clearly as this one is to who Jesus is. And what Jesus can do for you if you've made all the wrong decisions, if you walk in shame, if you walk in insecurity. It's found in Mark chapter 5. They're going to put it up on the screen, and I want to, I want to read it with you. Can you all see that? Okay. It's often called the story of the bleeding woman. So it says, and a woman was there, so she's come and she's heard that Jesus is going to be walking through town. So she hears about Jesus, the miracle worker. This is the guy who raises people from the dead. 
turns like a Long John Silver's lunch into dinner for 20,000. This is Jesus, turns water into wine. Can I get an amen? Yes. Yes, he does. Right? She hears about Jesus and she goes to where he's going to be walking through town. And a woman was there who'd been subject to bleeding for 12 years. How long? How long? That's a long dang time, y'all, right? 12 years. I mean, I don't mean to be gross, but I don't have a ton of filters. Ladies, imagine bleeding without stopping. And gentlemen, oh, suck it up. Like, you're welcome for all the babies later. Where's Austin? Are we cool? Are we good? <laughs> 12 years, guys. Now listen, and it's, it's not that she's just bleeding for 12 years. Do you know that in that culture, do you know that it meant that she was considered like unclean, unholy, rejected? She would have lived in exile. That means for 12 years, no one talked to her. No one touched her. No one hugged her. Her children would have been banished from her. Her husband would be unable to be with her. 12 years, zero contact. And anytime she would have walked through the street or walked by a person, do you know what they would scream? Unclean, unclean. And everybody would point their fingers. What if everywhere you walked, people pointed at you and screamed your greatest sin? And went, unclean, impure, dirty. Everywhere you went. 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors. So did she try to get help? Yes. And it spent all she had as she broke? Yes. Yet instead of getting better, she grew what? Worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. If I just, if I just meet the one, if I just get married, if I just fall in love, if I just get the job, if I just succeed, if I could just have more money. Don't y'all have a if I just in your life? If I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, he, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized the power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered. And yet you ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, what did he call her? Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Try and move, put yourself in this moment. There are so many crowds. It is so loud. And Jesus is being jostled. I mean, he's ever, so much of the disciples don't even understand how you would know who touched you. And this woman, this woman that hadn't been touched, hadn't been hugged, hadn't been loved for 12 years, what does she do? She does this, right? She gets down. She risks rejection. She risks stoning and death because that would have been the penalty for an unclean person to touch a clean person. And she gets down and she slithers and she reaches out and touches what? The hem. Just the bottom. I've had a lot of dark moments in my life, guys. 
I mean, I've had a lot of dark moments. I've had moments that I would put my Bible in my bed with me because I couldn't read it. And I thought that maybe if I was just near it, right? If I could just be near it, that maybe somehow God would do something with it and would bring me comfort and peace. I've had, I've had moments more than one where I laid on the pavement of a parking lot after leaving a hotel. And I would look up at the sky and all I knew to do was say the name Jesus. See, I know what it is to get on your knees and all you want to do is just, I, I just want to touch him. I don't even need him to talk to me. I don't even need him to pick me up. I don't even need him to like do anything else. But I think if I could just touch him, I mean, I, mean, I think if I could just catch a glimpse, then maybe something would happen. And here's what you need to hear is that Jesus felt it. He feels your need. He feels your wound. And it doesn't matter how many people are pressed up against. It doesn't matter how busy the world is or who's asking or what you think your level of pain is. It just doesn't matter. What matters is that when you come in contact with the Savior of the world, he heals you. And she stands, she's standing there and she was unclean, unclean, unclean. And she stands up and Jesus says to her, he calls her what? Yellow. What does he call her? Daughter. The old identity gone and the new identity has come. Am I right? You are not what you've done. I'm going to tell you who you are. You are my son. You are my daughter. You are my child. It doesn't matter what decision you have made behind you. You are the decision you make next. I don't know your story. I have no idea. Here's what I think, though, because here's what I think God impressed on my heart today. Some of you, you need to start by claiming a new identity. You need to become a son or daughter of the king. You need to confess your sin to him. Ask Jesus to forgive you. And commit the rest of your life to following him. You need to become a Christian. You need to become a follower of Jesus. It's the only way. But then there are others of you that would call yourselves Christians. And you very much believe in forgiveness because you pray for it every day. And every time you commit the same sin and you fall into the same struggle and the same patterns... You just keep asking for forgiveness over and over and over again. Some of you are asking for forgiveness for something that you did years ago, for something that was done to you that wasn't even your fault. Some of you are covered in shame over nothing that is yours to hold. And it's not forgiveness that you need. You need freedom. You need freedom. You need to know that forgiveness, God forgives your sins as far as the east is from the west, and you need to rise up inside of your identity and be made complete. I've had people go, that sounds so great, Heather. Sounds amazing. I would so love to not be insecure anymore. I hear you, and I, I just don't get it. You don't become secure in a moment. You don't get saved and walk out the doors and go, well, 
not an insecurity to find. You learn to walk confident. You make decisions and you ask yourself the question, if I was confident, what would I do in this scenario? And then you do that. If I was confident, if I didn't care about hurting someone's feelings, if I didn't care about what somebody thought about me, what would I do? Oh, I would do this. And then you do that. And you start to build a historical timeline of you saying yes to identity and all of a sudden the feelings follow and you all of a sudden find yourself walking into a room and you don't even think about what other people think about you. You look around the room and you see people and you wonder how can I add value to them? You stop caring so much about who you're gonna marry and you start becoming somebody worth marrying. So I don't know where you are. I don't know if you're still unforgiven because you haven't asked Jesus or if you're forgiven and you're saved or if you're forgiven, but you ain't free and tonight's your night. I'm gonna have us pray in just a moment and I'm gonna lead you through a prayer. And then when I'm done with the prayer, I'm gonna turn it over to the band and they're gonna lead us in one of my favorite songs and so completely appropriate for what we're talking about tonight. When they lead us through the songs, listen to me, look at me. When they lead us through the songs, this is not like you're, okay, I'm gonna check it out now because we're getting ready to leave. When we go through the songs, it's an anthem that we're gonna sing. It says, no longer slaves. It's an anthem. It's like a declaration, y'all. It's a, it's a time for you to experience what freedom is. It's a time for some of you who are so not free, you can't even imagine raising your hands. It's a time for some of you who are addicted and, and you can't get out of the cycles of pornography and the cycles of sexual sin, for you to get up out of your chairs and fall on your face at the front and let the Holy Spirit descend upon you and heal you and free you and mark you that you would leave changed. When we sing this song, it is not a time for you to just move your mouth. It's a time for you to move your body toward the thing that you so deeply desire, this thing that we call freedom. Maybe you need to get on your knees. Maybe you need to bow your head. Maybe you need to kneel up here like you're at an altar. Maybe you need to just stand up with your hand raised. Maybe you need, I don't know what you need to do, but do it. Bow your heads with me. If you've never given your life to Jesus tonight, here's your moment, now is your time. Here's what you need to do. I'm gonna pray a prayer and you don't have to say the words I'm saying, it's just something to model. It's just an example. You can use your own words, but if you wanted to make Jesus Lord of your life tonight for the very first time, you simply say, Jesus, forgive me. I am a sinner and I need you. I've been doing it my way. I've been making choices out of insecurity and I need a new identity. I want to be your son or I want to be your daughter. Stop the bleeding. Tell him, say I commit the rest of my life to you. Tell him I don't have all the answers, but I'm trusting you to give them to me. Some of you who are Christians, and and that's not the prayer you pray, but you need to pray a prayer of freedom. 
You need to say, Lord, I know what you're asking me to do. I know you're asking me to end the relationship. I know you're asking me to stop looking at that. I know you're asking me to confess. I know you're asking me to ask her out. I know you're asking me to stop using this person. I know you're telling me that I should be dating other a believer. I know this is what you're telling me and I have refused to do it. I would wager there are some of you in this room that are, that are battling um, confusion about your sexuality and your identity and you're so afraid to talk about it because what in the world would the church think? And you need to tell a trusted adult and you need to come out and you need to say, this is who I am and I need help and I don't know what to do and I'm confused about who I am and what does Jesus say that I am? Some of you need to do that. Some of you need to claim freedom tonight. So we're gonna move into this song. And I'm telling you, you are not here by accident. You are not here by coincidence. If you wanna leave here freer than when you came, you make the most of this moment. You give your whole self to this moment, mind, body, and soul. And Heavenly Father, I pray over every single one, every single one in this room, every single man, every single woman, Lord, I pray release from chains. I pray freedom from bondage. I pray, Lord, that any spirit of rejection, of abandonment, of abuse, of addiction, Father, that any spirit um, that that would cover them and make them feel as though they are less than, as though they are crawling on the ground, Father, I pray uh, for any, any spirit, Father, of anger, of bitterness, where the enemy would be whispering in their ears, you're a two, you're a three. You're not worthy. You're not valuable. Father, we just pray in the strong name of Jesus that you would break those chains. That you would raise up your sons and daughters. That they would be no longer slaves. That you would part the Red Sea. That they would walk through on dry ground. That they would get to the other side into the promised land. You would take them through their pain. You would take them through their sorrow. You would take them through their grief. That they might come out victorious, Jesus. In Jesus' name. And all of the people in this room said together, Amen. Let's sing together. You unravel me with a melody. You surround me with a song of deliverance from my enemies till all my fears are gone I'm no longer a slave to fear I am a child of God I'm no longer Chosen me, love has called my name. And I've been born again into your family. 
Oh, no, no. 